0: Hello, welcome to this podcast in a series of podcasts for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investe. Every year since 2018, we've been traveling the country, north and south, east and west, in search of the boldest new ventures that are disrupting and innovating in their respective industries. We're making a series of five podcasts this year to tell you about the finalists. There are some 44 of them selected out of 250 entries, and they're among Britain's most interesting and exciting homegrown, entrepreneur-led, high-growth businesses. I'm Martin van der Weer, I'm the business editor of The Spectator, and I'm one of the founders of these awards. This episode is focused on manufacturing and engineering. The nominees here have found novel uses for old materials, for example, often finding more sustainable ways of producing familiar things. Some use cutting-edge engineering, including graphene, the extremely thin, extremely strong new material discovered in the UK at the University of Manchester, where indeed so much of the original design and perfection of the first computers also took place, so very much part of the tradition of British innovation. We were indeed home to the Industrial Revolution and it's great to see that our manufacturing and engineering today is keeping that forward momentum alive. I've got three judges with me for this episode and I'll ask them to introduce themselves briefly, starting with a word from Michelle White, representing our sponsor Investec.
1: Thanks, Martin. Yes, Investec are the proud sponsors of the awards for the second year in a row now. As a firm founded by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, we're a specialist bank and wealth manager that supports business owners and their ventures internationally and here in the UK. I'm representing Investec Wealth and Investments UK, which is now part of the Rathbones Group as of three weeks ago. And as a result, we're now in 23 towns and cities across the country. So it's been an absolute pleasure touring up and down the country with you to meet the 44 finalists. And I look forward to discussing the companies in more detail today.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Next, I want to introduce Ian Ritchie, who's one of our Scottish guest judges. Ian In a couple of sentences, tell us about yourself. Yes,
2: I'm I'm based in Edinburgh. Um, I sold my first company to Panasonic in 1990. And since then, I've been involved in about 30, sorry, 50 angel startups, often as the first non-executive chairman. I'm also non-exec chairman of a London-based listed company called Tern
0: PLC with a portfolio of interesting tech startups. Thank you very much. And our third judge today is Gabriel Feisch, who joined us for our lunch in Manchester and has an eye over business in Wales and the North West
3: for us. Gabriel. Thanks, Martin. Yes, my name is Gabriel Fisch. Um I'm actually a previous recipient of the Regional Disruptor Award, as it was then in 2019, for Transcend Packaging, which is a uh, manufacturer of sustainable packaging products. And I have a, a, a keen focus on sustainability and how that is uh, seen in productivity and manufacturing, as well as in the wider environment.
0: Thank you. Very good. Okay, so on we go. Eight companies to tell you about today. The first two I'm going to put on the table for our judges to kick around a bit are both making a consumer product, a familiar consumer product, a very familiar consumer product indeed, but out of something different. So what do I mean by that? Okay, one of them is called the Cheeky Panda, and it makes tissue and hygiene products. That means chiefly loo paper from bamboo, the world's fastest growing plant, highly sustainable source of material. Uh, There's certainly plenty of bamboo in the world. They, in fact, ship it in from China to manufacture into these products at the moment and so on. So bamboo based hygiene and tissue products. The second one is called This, and it's a very fast-growing brand in the meat-free food sector. So what it says it does is it makes a ridiculously meaty range of plant-based alternatives, like sausages, bacon, or chicken, available in major supermarkets and food service chains. So that's very much on the zeitgeist, plant-based food alternatives to meat. There we are. Let's start with the Cheeky Panda. Michelle, you met the presenter for Cheeky Panda when we had our London lunch. What, what what did you think of this one?
1: Yes, this was great presentation from Julie, who's the co-founder of the company. Lovely story about this being founded um, from a bedroom um, and now growing to having over 30 products sold around the world in 26 countries supplying over 100 retailers. They've sold, I think, over 50 million units over the past few years and at a rate of about 400,000 products a month. So hugely impressive growth Um, so far, high growth business since inception in 2016. And obviously finding a huge demand and market for an alternative to traditional paper products. I think Julie talked about you know, in a world of stretched resources, she thinks that we shouldn't be flushing forests down the toilet, so how about growing bamboo instead, which is, grows much faster and is easier to replace. So I like the story, very impressive journey so far.
0: And Gabriel, you're in the packaging business. Uh, you're in the processing of trees into <laughs> packaging products. Um, do you buy this concept?
3: Look, they've definitely recognised a gap in the market that there's no doubt and they've got fantastic marketing i definitely recognize that too i really like the fact that they're trying and starting to bring manufacturing to the uk rather than just being an importer i think it's a bit unfair on trees if i'm honest (laughs) um i think we have very good uh, the fsc gives a very good uh, tree protection policy throughout europe in fact but look it's great and i I also i quite like that uh, thing about the antibacterial aspect of bamboo i think that's quite clever
0: Ian, what did you think about the cheeky panda? Well, I think it's intriguing. The, the The
2: bamboo is a nice material, and certainly you can grow it. You can grow it anywhere. You don't have to grow it in China. Um, we've had a couple of pandas here in Edinburgh for <laughs> 10 years, and people have been growing bamboo for them. Um, so there's plenty around. But I don't know what's wrong with trees, um, to be honest. Um, as they grow, trees suck up a lot of CO2. Um, so growing, early-stage growing trees and then cutting them down to make into paper and so forth is... Um, as environmentally friendly as bamboo. So I'm not entirely sure this is a major contribution um, to the planet. Also, they've got competitors and, you know, the giants like Kimberly Clark who are, you know, they've got a massive machine uh, to make wood uh, to turn it into paper and deliver it around the world. So they've got a big competition coming up to try and uh, get into with their their bamboo products. So, yeah, interesting.
1: Just to pick up on... Sort of all connecting the points there made by Gabriel and Ian. So we talked about the, the marketing in the meeting and they are, they are doing very well with that. And they actually made a, a comparison directly with, say, a Kimberly clark who chooses to have different brands across their products. So you've got an Andrex, a Kleenex, a Pampers, for example. Cheeky Panda have very deliberately kept all of their products under one roof which they believe will make it easier for cross-adoption. So very much sort of in line with a an apple approach, shall we say.
0: Well, there we are. We We like the idea of using all that bamboo, but we stand up for trees as well. Our second manufacturer of consumer product is called This. That's the trademark. And it's the plant-based alternative to a whole range of familiar meat products. It's growing at a very rapid rate. I think this is a brand that... Many people are already familiar with, have seen in the supermarket, we were given some free samples. It's the way the world's going. We hear all the time about plant-based foods coming in, processed meats in particular, going out, being highlighted as health hazards, even in this debate about Rishi Sunak banning smoking. The journalists were challenging him with, why aren't you doing something about obesity and processed meats and so on? So there we are. It's a very topical subject. Again, Michelle, you you, you met mm. them. What did you think? And do you eat plant-based
1: I do not, stuff? but I have since. And yes, was pleasantly surprised and interestingly actually uh, flying back down from Scotland where we'd met the Scotland and Northern Ireland entrance with Ian I was offered a this alternative when I bought my dinner at the airport so that was quite interesting immediately after meeting them yeah I mean obviously again a very fast growing company I think only three full trading years and the numbers are incredible. And I loved his line about looking to force the world's livestock into retirement, which I thought was quite catchy. Targeting flexitarians, because obviously that's a bigger market than the pure vegan or vegetarian market, they believe that 76% of people are keen to decrease their meat intake. And when we pressed him on some of the research that says, you know, demand for this kind of thing is waning... Um, He pointed out that a lot of that relates to looking at the chilled part of the sector, whereas they very much focus on frozen, which he said is um, growing rapidly. So, yes, impressive company.
0: Yes, it's a market that's having a a lull after a burst of uh, attention uh, and growth, I think. But you can see it's it's going to move forward again. Uh, and now, in in Scotland, the the Scottish traditional diet like likes <laughs> likes plenty of deep fried processed meat products. How's the plant based diet for you? Well, veg- vegetarian haggis is doing very well. Um, oh. <laughs> it
2: competes pretty well in the haggis market. I don't know much about this sort of stuff to be honest. I, I, I've, any plant based meats I've eaten have always been pretty much substandard. But however. If we're talking about the planet, um, animals do create a lot of methane. And so, you know, ways of reducing um, uh, consumption of red meat is healthier for people and it's healthier for the planet. So I guess this must be the future. But I think we'll have to, well, I say I haven't tried this stuff, so it it may be, it it seems to be winning awards and it seems to be quite good. It's certainly growing very fast.
3: Very good. Gabriel? I, I sadly didn't get to meet them but I have since tried it and I bought the uh the frozen pork sausages one mm. and actually you know I was really impressed mm. I have to say mm. I put it in my uh, air fryer and um that was quite good actually and also a uh, small thing but if you look at the ingredients they're they're trying to avoid soy which I think is really good so they're using pea protein so that's locally sourced sustainable and actually interradio the uh the waste starch can be used for other. Uh, post-industrial uses as well so I, I really like that it's a good good company growing fast very interesting very good
0: well it has
3: been awarded the world's
0: best plant-based sausage award in the plant-based <laughs> taste awards last year and it is trying to match the succulence, juiciness and mouthfeel of fattier meat products without the need for animals so we can see that is the way the world's Going And this is one of the leading UK brands in the field. So there we are, that's this. So we're going to move on through some other industrial-based businesses in various different sectors. I want to start with EquipMake, who we met in Birmingham. It's an engineering specialist developing and producing advanced electric motors, drivetrains, trains. And power systems but it's particularly in the business of converting older vehicles it can convert bus fleets heavier vehicles and so on to electric power and it's looking at the aerospace industry it's looking at vertical takeoff and landing technology it's a business that's been going for quite a long time and has a niche in the electric motor field and I'm going to ask Gabriel to speak about that
3: one. Uh, Thanks, Martin. So, yes, EquipMate. Actually, I really like this company. Uh, I think this this company's got legs. And whilst I understand and fully appreciate that it takes a lot of money to get to scale in this area, it's going to require a lot of investment and they've been going for quite a while, I think what they're doing, which is electrification of existing uh, combustion engine vehicles, has real merit, especially in PFA, Police Fire Ambulance, uh, where you've got a lot of sort of if you will, stranded assets over the next 10 years, 15 years. So if you can convert them to EVs, then that solves a whole lot of problems. You know, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered on power for fire engines, you know, for the water, et cetera. But, you know, they seem to be delivering those uh, powertrain technology systems, which will do that. So a very exciting company, I have to say. And
1: they made the point, didn't they, Martin, on the day, that there is just no way that people can meet the net zero targets quite, yeah. through new vehicles so there simply has to be a, a huge amount of repurposing especially to get industrial
0: in yes yeah. exactly. Ian what did you think
1: well I was puzzled
0: and i obviously I
2: haven't met them so I, I haven't heard the story but they're not really i um, doing a lot of business yet and yet they've been going quite a long time now that may be because as you say they're retrofitting mostly and that market really hasn't taken off yet. So that probably explains it. But I, I'm very attracted by the idea that they're doing, um, they're, you know, re- reconfiguring Rootmaster buses and and they're moving into the aviation market. And obviously, um, electric uh, planes will be <laughs> one day, I suppose, the, uh, the great saviour um, of an awful lot of carbon uh, created in the sky. So, yeah, promising. Um, but I, I would say still promising. Uh, I, you know, I, the EV business worldwide is now massive, and um, they don't have very much of it yet.
0: Um, so I think we'll have to see how that goes. Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to move on to one of our Scottish entrants, MacReba, based in southwest of Scotland, Lockerbie, I think. MacReba, this is the second time. We met them and their founder, Toby McCartney. He is in the business of turning plastic waste into a polymer that can be mixed with bitumen for road surfaces to reduce the bitumen content in road surfaces and basically create a better, more durable road surface. We met him on screen and he had a a sort of mountain of this polymer material Behind him on screen, it really was. He really was sitting in his factory shed talking to us. Ian, this is a Scottish business, so I'll come to you first. What did you think about McReba? I thought it was very interesting. The, um, there's an awful lot of plastic waste can't be recycled.
2: Um, it's currently going into, well, being shipped off to Asia and to Turkey and places like that, and creating huge mountains of stuff that often gets dumped not very sustainably um so taking that kind of material and reusing it sounds very attractive there's another company coming up um that's in the same sort of business for a different um application but so replacing um bitumen which is obviously oil-based and the oil industry obviously wants rid of it and you know so it's it's relatively competitive replacing that with this uh, plastic sounds really you know a, a solution to two problems one is it it's a apparently more more um, uh, sustainable. It's, it, it lasts longer. And also it re- gets rid of this plastic mountain that's built up all over the world. Um, at the moment, it's only allowed up to 15% um, of the mix. So bitumen has to be most of the mix and 15% of it can be the plastic. But they claim to have developed a completely 100% plastic uh, solution, uh, which mixed, mixed with aggregate, um, they say, is very sustainable and, and very hard-wearing. So that's that's quite intriguing. Um, and you can see how that could appeal. They've built, they've done four factories now in four countries and they've got six more planned for the next three years. So they're clearly taking a global um, approach to all this. So uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely got legs and as I say, it solves two problems. One is that um, cuts down in oil and, and builds and, and uses up the plastic mountain. So I think that's quite attractive.
0: And Turkey is one of the countries where they are starting to operate making use of the vast a quantities of, factory, of plastic yeah. that get shipped to turkey for for recycling good uh, gabriel
3: no i mean i, I agree with you you know i think the regulation is a is a bit of a headwind but you know i do wonder i mean they've got projects in moldova turkey uae why don't we have projects in the mm. uk for them i mean honestly <laughs> i mean <laughs> we have potholes here yeah I mean, you know, councils. Local councils. are very
2: conservative. Um, uh, and they don't... Uh, yeah. and, and also the regulations for road surfaces are very conservative, and they'd have to get those changed. And a, a, a too, common too theme much.
0: across many businesses that we meet including in the healthcare sector but in any service sector you care to mention is how difficult it is to break through with the British public sector so very often the most promising markets are not the home home market that's a common theme very often anyway we were pleased to see MacReber for a second time particularly pleased to see their rate of growth and progress so that's MacReber and road surfacing let's move on to another one so in Manchester we met Partful. This is a business providing a digital ecosystem that supports the end-to-end repair process for manufacturers. What it essentially does is it takes a manufactured good, a machine of any kind, an auto component, an aerospace component, and digitizes it in 3D, identifies every piece of it, and identifies the sources for replacement parts. For repairs. So it's a circular economy model. It's a digital business. It's not physically handling these products itself, but it's providing a very useful service to come, Lotus Cars, for instance, as one of its first clients. Michelle, did would you like to comment on that?
1: Yeah, a very young company, but doing something very interesting. And my colleague and fellow judge Richard was very taken with this sam used a great sort of story didn't he martin to introduce it because he's ex-armed forces so he was talking about you know literally being in on the battlefield trying to flick through thousands of pages of manuals to work out how to fix whatever machine or weapon they were working on at the time Mm. and it just being slightly ridiculous and obviously they've come up with a solution to that and we had quite a healthy debate about Really, you know, bringing this to life for all of us. Um, And I think we talked a lot about my broken coffee machine and how (laughs) how we might be able to solve that solution through their product. So it was very interesting. And we've had a good look at the, the website and everything since and certainly innovating and embracing that sort of circular economy message and model that, again, is right on the zeitgeist at the moment and looking to stop people throwing things away.
0: Very good. Gabriel, you you also met this company.
3: Yeah, I really like Sam. Really dedicated to his company as well, which is always great to see. Yeah, he's after the you know, he's targeting the sort of right to repair legislation that's coming through. Michelle questioned her coffee maker and if it broke, would she use the product would she use the product? I, I I'm not sure if Michelle's the right customer for this product. Um, but I tell you I think the people are, people like John Lewis and, you know, appliance repair services out there who have to dig out manuals or multiple products etc i mean th- the problem is is about getting the database all together and he's doing a job on that i think it's got a great ambition i think it's got great potential but there's a lot of work to scale that to make it really truly something but great company
0: okay ian your thoughts well
2: no repair and not replace is obviously a great um a great ambition. The whole world now has been built on the basis of, um, you know, delivering stuff and throwing it away. Um, So there's a huge amount of rethinking to go on before this happens. I mean, I don't know how John Lewis would manage to repair all the equipment they sell. It would be a different kind of company. So there's a lot of um, change in the world will have to happen before this um, takes off. But hey, they're
0: in the right direction, I guess. So all power to them. And to be fair, in describing them, they are more in the industrial world than in the consumer world yeah. at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and they're particularly in in automotive and aerospace applications. But a, a, a very interesting circular economy concept that they're developing. Very good. Okay, our next one, which was one of our Bristol entrants, is called QLM Technology, based in the West Country. The simplest possible description of this is that it's making security cameras that detect tiny amounts of greenhouse gases or other toxic leaks in the atmosphere. It's of course much more complicated than that. It combines tunable diode laser gas absorption spectroscopy and LIDAR with quantum single photon detection. Well, of course, the judges don't know what that means, and probably neither do the (laughs) listeners. But essentially, this produces a camera, which can be installed in any industrial complex or setup and will spot and map tiny, dangerous leaks of gases. Michelle, you met Murray, who pitched to us. What did you think of this one?
1: Yes, this was very impressive, slightly out of my comfort zone, as you've just described. But, yeah, again, putting it in simple terms, effectively a camera that can see methane. And so huge focus, obviously, on the oil and gas industry because leakages of methane are significant and avoidable with this kind of technology because, obviously, if you know what's happening, you can fix it. So he was talking about the fact that Climate control is not only necessary, but it does become possible with um, technology like this. And they've got a huge investor and strategic partner, very big name in the industry. So obviously a lot of um, faith and backing and support for what they're doing from one of the biggest players in the industry.
0: Which is, we can say, Schlumberger, or formerly Schlumberger, now called SLB, a prominent global oil and gas service Company that they are venturing with, Ian. Did this catch your eye? Yes, it did. Um, I do remember spectroscopy from my high school
2: physics, <laughs> and uh, so you know the way you, you identify particular elements in a mix. And um, look, if we're going to tackle methane, we've got to find it. We've got to stop it. From being developed and, and distributed. Um, so it does look like this is, well, it's turned out to be of interest to SlumberJ, who are obviously the massive company here. You do wonder, I mean, they're what, they're 6 million this year, but they say they're going to be 33 million turnover next year. That's extraordinary, but I suppose that's quite practical actually, if they're supplying via a partner like Um So it's making a big difference. And um, my question would be are they now a captive? I mean, you know, as somebody, you've just got to buy them. No harm in that. But, uh, you know, once you've taken venture capital from an industrial giant, it does tend to mean you're not going to get, um, you're not really an independent company anymore.
0: Okay. Gabriel, anything on this one?
3: Yeah. uh, Look, I I, I sort of vaguely disagree with you. I think having a CVC or a corporate venture capital partner is actually the way to go these days. Mm. I think it allows you to get to scale a lot more quickly than have to battle the VC markets right now. I think the technology is great. I think I'd like to know if they could do more than one gas per camera because I think there's some issues with lidar in terms of how it can scope for more than one element in a, or one type of chemical. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, great. It's a problem. They're solving it. Yeah, and
0: it's, it, in a way, this is a, a classic model. It's, an, it's a university spin-out from Bristol University. It's in its uh, sixth or seventh year of development. It's going into joint venture with a big, powerful industrial company. And it's on an exciting growth path. So there we are. That's QLM technology. So that leaves us with two more. And they are both using graphene. Graphene is this Miracle New Material, invented in laboratories in Manchester some 10 to 15 years ago, it's a one-atom-thick industrial material with a very wide range of possible applications. And the race has been on over these years to find those applications and commercialise them. So here we have two companies, Paragraph, who we met in London, and Graphene Innovations Manchester Limited, well, that says it all in the title, as it were, which we met in Manchester. So let, let's talk about how these two are making use of this supposed miracle material. Gabriel, why don't you comment on, let's talk about them both together. So yeah. comment on both, if you'd like to.
3: Well, I didn't actually get to meet Paragraph, but I went through their presentation and, and, and did some research on, on exactly what they're doing with their aspect of graphene i mean you couldn't have i think very different companies you know jim the company in manchester has a, a focus i think on concrete although it turns out to have a lot more expertise in other areas as well fascinating uh, entrepreneur dr Vivak, who uh, founded the company um, originally was set out to design a space station made from graphene i believe and has pivoted towards concrete. On Paragraph, I like that they've chosen an aspect of graphene and focused on it, and that's the magnetic qualities of graphene and how those can be used in industrial applications. So, you know, anything from MRIs in the hospitals to hard drives for computers. And I think that's their focus by dint of their manufacturing process. So I like that. I think it's got some easier products that they could go after, maybe anti-counterfeiting and that sort of thing for magnetic use. But they're definitely onto an area with a great upside. Dr. Vivac, he signed a huge contract with the UAE uh, Foundation, billion dollar, Michelle? Yes. Billion dollar deal. And that's to supply concrete technology. He's using zero cement, in his concrete mix for the UAE project, which will allow it to be a lot stronger and robust. I know graphene concrete is also going to be used in HS2, although that's up for debate now, I guess. Mm. So I'm torn as to which one I prefer, but um, I do like the fact that Paragraph is focused. Michelle,
0: you actually visited the laboratory, I think, of yes. uh, Graphene Innovations by invitation after lunch, and what did you see?
1: Yes, I mean, gosh, that was fascinating in itself. That's an amazing sort of complex and outfit that is 50% backed by the university and 50% by the UAE, I believe. So they've got all sorts of companies in there developing all sorts of things, and Jim Limited is one of those, and Vivek describes himself as an application developer, as... Gabriel's describing not a graphene producer as such, has all sorts of ideas. He's a classic entrepreneur, innovator, and this is one that clearly has really hit it off. So, yes, this concrete doesn't use any cement or water, so it's completely revolutionary. And they'll be presenting at COP20 with the UAE, I believe, in terms of what they're doing here and what they're going to do through the, the joint venture. And similarly to your point about what is right in terms of partnership and and growth, he very much believes that following that sort of JV model is the way that you go global. Mm. And I love the way that he just said a lot of simple things about, you know, everything I do has to be cost-effective because if it's not, you're really never going to sell it. So very simple sort of business principles and then very clever science behind it.
0: Ian, has graphene crossed your radar
1: screen yet?
2: Oh, indeed. I mean, graphene is the miracle, um, miracle uh, development from Manchester University. And it has two characteristics that are used differently here in these two companies. Uh, one is it's incredibly strong. And so that gives this, the, the strength in this uh, concrete mix. But concrete is made, well, mostly Concrete is made from cement. Cement is an incredibly um, bad uh, material for the planet. It creates an awful lot of CO2 when you're making it. And so if you can eliminate that, that I mean, it's something like 8% of the total CO2 in the planet is is from concrete manufacturing. And when you think of the amount of concrete that is deployed in the world every day, That's an awful lot. I mean, so uh, getting a replacement for that is good. Using, making concrete does require a lot of water and there's water shortages everywhere as well. And also getting back to the Mike Burr um, experience, there's an awful lot of waste plastic around. Um, So this cuts down the CO2, cuts down the water and uses up the waste plastic. Fantastic. So it's uh, about 30% lighter. It's five times stronger. I'm extraordinary. This is my uh, company of the of the, the, the patch today, I think, this one. Very impressive. Uh, whereas the other one uses the other characteristic of graphene, which is its, um, its el- electricity resistance is very, very low. So you can drive um, electricity through these. This is um, the positation process for making semiconductors, but using the, the graphene as a, a layer in the semiconductor. Now, obviously, uh, with it being electricity resistance being really low, these devices will not heat up in the way that normal semiconductors heat up and a big problem with semiconductor devices is the the heat they create um so that reducing that, that heat in these devices is is a, is a bit of a breakthrough and it will create devices that are much more tolerant to all sorts of heat conditions and so forth. Currently, semiconductors can't cope with too cold or too hot. This obviously is different. So I think it's it's very impressive and they've grown very fast and they've just opened, well, they've just bought and and opened a US activity as well. So they're clearly going places with this uh, graphene-based electronics uh, solution.
0: Very good. Thank you. So there we are. That's eight companies we've talked about in this podcast, if we looking for common themes, I suppose it is in part at least the use of new materials for familiar purposes or different materials or better, more sustainable, more planet-friendly materials, whether it's plastics recycled into road surfaces at one end or it's the miracle of graphene at the other end, it's bamboo in tissue and so on, and it's plant-based products that taste like meat Products. Uh, We've also seen recreation of vehicle fleets by turning them into electric vehicles, that fleets that might otherwise, as Gabriel said, end up as stranded assets can be converted to electric power. Machines, vehicles, aircraft that might become redundant because no one can find the spare parts can be given a longer life with um, the sort of technology of Partful and so on. And if there are gas leaks from any of these things, QLM will find them. So there we are. I think that ties together all eight. Would any of our judges like to add a final comment? I thought it was a theme really with all of them, which is the world is changing. We're
2: going greener. Um, I mean, every one of these practically could be entered into the COP (laughs) as a demonstration um, for the next COP session. So the world is, getting, is changing. We're getting greener. We're getting more environmentally conscious. And pretty much every one of these applications is in that territory. Good. Gabriel?
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Ian. So, you know, we've got a group of really clever British companies here with great knowledge, research and development that they're doing. I think the common theme for me is scalability. How do we scale these really clever companies into larger British companies that stay in Britain, provide employment here. And I think that there is a, and I've said it before, there's a lack of resource available to these kind of companies to actually create this scalability. And that's why, to my earlier point on CVCs, really is the only way that these companies can get to that. Um, And it's a pity, because there should be better access to financial resource. Last word from Michelle.
1: Well, I would just add to that point that it, It will be interesting to see the evolution of all of these in terms of the costs and the the costs both to them in manufacturing and creating their products but then also the price at which they sell because I think that's critical, isn't it? When you're asking people to switch from a traditional product or resource into a newer, sustainable alternative for companies and Consumers individually, a lot of the time it's going to come down to how much more am I going to have to pay for that. So we talked with a lot of them about how quickly they can get the price down to match the traditional market, and that will be key to the success of many of these going forward.
0: Very good. Well, thank you very much to uh, Ian, Gabriel and Michelle for their contributions today. That's it for our podcast on the industrial entrance for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards. Uh, You'll hear who the winners are in November. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the whole series of podcasts. Thank you. Goodbye.
3: Thanks for listening to this podcast sponsored by Investec. To find out how Investec can help you personally or your business, visit www.investec.com.